Hello, Bill Allen here trying to get his lights together and hopefully that does it pretty well. And uh, if you can't see me, sorry about that, but hopefully that's bright enough to where you can. It's always fun trying to mess with something that's new, which basically is everything having to do with how we do life in the pandemic. Actually, now we're adjusting to post-pandemic life, which is a blessing all in itself. But uh, appreciate you being with me today. Glad to be able to continue our study of 1 John as we are looking at this great letter. And I'm already seeing a few folks uh, signing on. Uh, Pat, nice to see you, my dear friend and sister Grace, all the way from the wonderful state of North Carolina. Nice to see you as well. And uh, others signing on. Great to have everyone with you. Glad to hear that the lights are working. Thanks for that update, Pat. Trying to get myself centered, which is... Um, uh, that's, that's a whole nother thing, trying to keep Bill centered. That's a little bit more of a difficult job than just moving around in the seat. And so enough of all of that. Glad to have you here. Glad that we are able to uh, be along and to uh, share about the wonderful message uh, of 1 John. You know, the book of 1 John speaks to the classic battle of good versus evil. It's kind of interesting that uh, there's uh, so many things that John says about that. And so many things that people, scholars, have written about that. And we introduced the study last week looking at how John has those two streams, those who are being faithful and are just needing a word of encouragement, and those who are thinking about turning away and are actually already beginning that process and need to be brought back into the fold or, or need to be reminded that they are to be um, having a, a faith that is actually active and uh, loving others as uh, God has loved them in Christ Jesus. So both of those uh, streams are found throughout the book of John. And another stream that we'll talk about a little bit today is that whole good versus evil battle, the good guys versus the bad guys. And it's uh, not like the old spaghetti westerns where you knew who the good guy was, you knew who the bad guy was. It was pretty clear and it wasn't just about uh, what color hat they had on, but it was also about the way they carried themselves, and and you were you saw it right through. Uh, Joyce and I like to watch some of the thriller movies where they're kind of suspenseful, and uh, some of those it's it's kind of a little bit fun as you're going through to try to decide who done it, <laughs> because they're uh, they they try to make you guess and they try to hit you with some surprises. And uh, uh, John doesn't really do that, but the world does that. Satan certainly does that. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you don't have uh, Gene Autry and Roy Rogers and John Wayne and all of those uh, to come out and to, and to be able to recognize immediately who the good guy is. You don't have the old war movies where, you know, everyone wore pretty much a certain color uniform and... Um, and you could recognize it right off the bat. And we think about those uh, heroic individuals that fought for us in uh, Vietnam or in Korea and uh, now in, uh, in the Middle East over the past uh, several years. And you realize that these are, these are individuals that um, really uh, a lot of times they, they didn't know where the next shot uh, that was uh, directed at them could come from. And, um, and so it's interesting that in our world today, we, we have to try to figure out uh, who the good guys are and who the bad guys are and who the ones that are trying to turn us away from God are and who are the ones that are trying to uh, lead us closer to God. Uh, 
And that's uh, really where where John comes in. Um, we rem we uh, looked at a little bit of the introduction to uh, these first these letters of John, first, second, and third John, and uh, and this is kind of how we're going to uh, start today before we get into the first four verses, which are uh, an incredible uh, passage, much like much reminding you of the prologue to the Gospel of John. Uh, the author is the uh, Apostle John, uh, one of the, the sons of Zebedee. Remember, James and John were the brothers who were the sons of uh, Zebedee. He was very close to Jesus, as we said in our uh, worship time this morning at West Irwin Church of Christ. I preached about preaching a series on Jesus and his relationships while he lived in this earth, on this earth. And um, today we talked about Jesus and the Twelve Apostles, and we talked a little bit about John because he describes himself in the Gospel of John a few times, three or four times, it's mentioned that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that sounds like a pretty arrogant way to describe yourself, and so I don't think that he would have done it that way. I think it was an act of humility rather than using his name. But at the same time, it's, it, if it was something that uh, was not commonly understood and, and that he, everyone knew how close he was to Jesus, then he likely would not have done it. Uh, but that is who we're talking about in this series. Uh, his brother, James, was the first apostle killed. Uh, after not many years of the church's existence, King Herod had James, the brother of John, killed. And, uh, and was going to do the same with the Apostle Peter, as Luke records in, in Acts chapter 12. Of course, this uh, John, son of Zebedee, is also the one who wrote the Gospel of John, and who also experienced uh, and wrote the Revelation, describing the events that he had while in exile on the island of Patmos for his faith. Uh, not too sure about the recipients. It's one of those general epistles. It's not like when Paul writes to the church of God at Corinth or to the church of the Thessalonians. Uh, John doesn't specifically state who or where his people are, but John, according to history and tradition, spent a lot of time in Ephesus and was involved in the ministry there, and so it's very likely that uh, the recipients are in that western province of uh, the, the Roman province of Asia. Uh, the far western uh, district or area, region, of uh, what we would call Turkey uh, today. Um, cities like Ephesus, Colossae, some of those that we read a lot about in Scripture, um, perhaps that was the general area. Uh, as we go through this, then we'll kind of be able to describe what was going on to, in the lives of the ones he was writing to based on what he tells them and how he addresses them. Um, and so the date, it's probably one of the later books in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, and the Gospel of John and the Revelation, likely some of the last of the New Testament books that were written, uh, certainly written uh, sometime in that period of uh, 85 to 95 uh, of the Common Era, A.D., um, and, uh, and that's about when this was written. And so we, based on that, we kind of, from a historical perspective in church history, we have um, an idea of some of the things that were going on. So here are a few of those. Uh, a lot of people have talked about Gnosticism and how First uh, John really addresses uh, the Gnostic 
heresy. Remember, Gnostic is G-N-O-S-T-I-C, uh, the G silent, but has to do with Gnosticism taken from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. And the Gnostics were a group who uh, really emphasized knowledge. And, and it's, um, I don't think that John, from what I've read and studied, I don't think that John was addressing that per se because Gnosticism really came in a little bit after the first century. But it, obviously the telltale signs were there. And there are several passages of scripture, including some in 1 John, that uh, speak out against uh, that heresy, speak out against uh, that uh, desire to find your righteousness and your place in the church and in God's eyes based on what you know. And, and so that's a, we'll kind of speak to that a few times. Uh, that really became a force more, again, after the first century, more in the 100s and 200s. Um, of the common era. Docetism is another uh, thing that John speaks out clearly against, having to do with what he describes as Antichrist. John speaks about the Antichrist, although he doesn't identify that as one person, it seems. It's more of a, here are some characteristics of someone who is Antichrist, and that is a transliteration, really, of the term that he uses against Christ. Um, and those who were involved in docetism, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M, uh, say that Christ seemed to have a human body, but he really didn't. This is a way of individuals who are very uncomfortable with the idea of deity becoming flesh, much less deity being nailed to a cross and dying. Um, and so to explain that away, there are a few things that they come uh, around with. Um, one of those is the idea of uh, docetism. Uh, another is that uh, they say that he lived as a human uh, person filled with the deity. Uh, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says that all the fullness of deity dwelt in Christ Jesus. Well, some of those would say that, yes, it did for a while, but it left him before the cross. And I, I think that loses the message and the power of, of the rest of the New Testament, really, especially when you have uh, uh, teaching like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, much of what Paul writes in Romans and other places. Uh, certainly the book of Hebrews very clear uh, that Christ, a part of Christ being qualified as our great high priest and savior, is the fact that he was willing to suffer uh, for us and even suffer to the point of death. Uh, there was a person who was a contemporary of John in the last part of the of his life, uh, the last few decades of the first century, uh, that uh, also was someone that was described by, I guess you could say, more orthodox Christians as someone who was an enemy of uh, the truth. And again, he was one of those that uh, was more docetic in his belief, saying that uh, Christ had the, the uh, nature of God in him until uh, it came for the time for him to be crucified. Um, the danger in all of these beliefs is that they could cause one to uh, uh, lose that sense of uh, Jesus in his physical body being the Son of God and yet being willing uh, to suffer and to experience the uh, ill treatment of others to be able to um, see the difficulty and to experience 
temptation. Again, as you know, Hebrews makes a big point of Jesus being tempted in every aspect, just like we are, yet he never sinned. And, and I, you know, I, I've said before that Jesus, it wasn't that he was 50% divine and 50% human, although, and it wasn't that he was 100% divine up until the cross, but even though it doesn't add up mathematically, it, it, he was 100% divine, 100% human the whole time. And that, again, that doesn't make sense. We, don't, we can't quite comprehend that 200%. But that's the way it was. He was at one and the same time, all God and all man. And John is uh, one who really emphasizes the deity of Christ in his gospel. The book of Hebrews really seeks to identify and emphasize the humanity of Christ. And I think perhaps the book of 1 John, even though it's very short, well, shorter than those books by far, even, uh, the book of 1 John seems to uh, speak to both of those. And I think that's one of the things that makes it uh, very interesting. Another thing that we read about in 1 John is the idea of dualism, which is that good versus evil, the good guys versus the bad guys, the good versus evil. And that's a fight that was raging all through human history and rages still, beginning in the Garden of Eden, beginning with the serpent testing and tempting uh, the new humanity to turn away from God and to appeal to their selfish desires to try to uh, put their themselves in the place of God. And that was really the temptation, I think. Um, and so John addresses that to a degree as well. And just as we described last week, there, there are good people that John addresses. Uh, and he gives them assurance of their salvation. First John 5, 13, I'm writing you these things so that you may know that you are saved, not know uh, and be confident about that in an arrogant way, but just to know that this is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And because of the blood of Christ, we are able uh, to not just be saved, but to have that blessed assurance that we sing about, because Jesus is mine. Uh, these are those who are a little bit insecure in their faith, and they need a dose of confidence. They need a dose of assurance. As we said last week, that's one group, one stream, that John writes to. And then the second one is to those who are evil. Uh, to those who are evil, John gives a word of condemnation and he gives a word of confrontation. He calls on them to repent and he calls on them to develop a sense of humility. The great passage in the second half of 1 John 1 that we'll look at next week uh, is a great passage for that because it talks to those who believe they've not sinned and encourages them to confess that they're sinners, but it also addresses those who have uh, been walking in the light and who have confessed their sins and reminds that group that, the, that God is faithful and just and will continually cleanse us of all of our sins through the blood of Christ. That's the spiritually arrogant uh, who don't get that. And uh, uh, the spiritually arrogant need a dose of humility but the ones who are walking in the light, uh, they need that word of assurance. And so John gives us a very high Christology, uh, which is, just means the study of Christ, the word of Christ. And in that uh, term, uh, there is that, that calling that says Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. And as I said, the Gospel of John 
brings out the divinity, the deity of Christ in a, in a great, great and powerful way, starting from the very beginning. You remember how the Gospel of John starts out, right, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and lived for a while among us, and he came and revealed to us grace and truth in a very full and powerful way. Well, in a sense, the, the writings of John in 1 John kind of carry on that same thought. John gives us a very high Christology and speaks of Jesus as one who really lived and, and really experienced all of those things that he had written about in the Gospel of John. First uh, John is an unmistakable call for us to love one another with an active love. Some of the great passages on loving your neighbor uh, as God in Christ Jesus has loved us are found especially in 1 John chapters 3 and 4. Those chapters really call us, reminding us that of what Jesus has done for us because he loved us. We now are to do the same for others and that we can't love a God whom we haven't seen if we don't love our brother and our sister whom we have seen. Uh, those are all great, great passages of Scripture that we'll get to in 1 John 3 and 4. Uh, certainly, 1 John is a, is a call to acknowledge our sins, to confess our sins, and to repent of our sins. And again, that starts right away in 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. Uh, that great statement in verse 9 of chapter 1, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a great call in the book of 1 John uh, for us to acknowledge and confess our sins and repent, change our lives, and begin to love God in an obedient way and to love our neighbor uh, in very active ways. And then, of course, there is that call, that sense of assurance, that through Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed for us, we can be assured and confident of our salvation. Uh, that's a very important part of the message of First John. Um, and as John addresses his hearers from the very start, he claims apostolic authority. But not just uh, the authority that comes from being an apostle, but what really makes that powerful in these first few verses of First John is that he is an eyewitness of everything that he is talking about. Uh, that authority, again, is not so plainly stated as Paul does when he identifies himself as an apostle uh, in several of his letters, uh, demonstrating his credentials and authority in a very uh, plain and well-stated manner. But for John, he was well-known, he was respected, he was loved. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved as he describes himself in the Gospel of John. And so he was well-loved by these recipients and well-respected. And so as he writes these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 2nd and 3rd John, much more personal, um, in a sense, a little less theological, uh, uh, but more personal, calling on perhaps specific individuals or congregations. John is uh, writing from the perspective of someone who's very well-loved somewhat like Paul writes uh, to the Thessalonians. Uh, even though he had not been able to spend very much time there, they had his heart, and he communicated that very beautifully in First and Second Thessalonians. John does the same way, and he uh, finds his authority uh, 
through being an apostle of Christ, through being an eyewitness of the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension, uh, but also being somebody who administered uh, in the areas of uh, the, where the people lived, where he was writing. Uh, and so what he does plainly state, again, is that he loved them very much and he calls on them to love each other. And as he does that, he speaks about being that eyewitness of the life and ministry of Christ. So what does he proclaim? Um, he proclaims what he has seen and heard. And so let's begin with the first two verses of 1 John 1, verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We'll read the rest of those uh, that opening statement in 1 John 1, 1 through 4 in just a moment. But what a powerful beginning. Again, much like the prologue in, in the Gospel of John that he writes in a, in a very powerful way, uh, a longer prologue. Here, this prologue begins uh, by talking about that which we have seen and heard. And what John says here is several things. First of all, we heard him. We, we heard that voice. Peter makes a statement about that that we'll look at in just a moment. John uh, recognizes that, that, that this is what I heard. I heard the, these words firsthand from the mouth of Jesus. Uh, we heard him, that which we have heard, that which we have seen. We saw him. We saw him. As John writes, he writes about things that he actually saw firsthand in the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. That which we have touched, we touched him. I mean, as we said this morning in the sermon, talking about the apostles being the people and, and during the ministry of Christ that, that Jesus was the closest to of anyone on the face of the earth during that time, even closer than his own flesh and blood family, uh, his mother and his brothers and sisters, uh, with his apostles, he lived with them. They were together 24-7. He was their leader. He was their master. He was their mentor. They were his disciples. And he called them out and, and spent all night praying, uh, as Luke 6 tells us, and then chose those 12 men to be his apostles, including the one who would betray him. Uh, we heard him. We saw him. We touched him. That which we have heard, that which we have seen, that which... Uh, our hands have touched. We, we lived with him. We were around him all the time. And everything that he said, everything he did, we experienced firsthand. And, and he says, that is the one that we proclaim to you. That's the one that we announce. That's the one that we uh, speak about. That's the one that we bear witness to. Uh, and again, he makes such an important point uh, that that we are eyewitnesses. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. Uh, we were around him constantly. Uh, he is the one who brought us life. He is the one that we proclaim. Paul makes very similar statements of his own authority and his own willingness to be a uh, to to talk about the things firsthand. For example, in First Corinthians. Uh, chapter 9, he asserts his apostolic authority. He has all the rights of any other apostle. 
In chapter 11, as you know, when he begins to talk about the Lord's Supper, uh, he says, I, I heard this directly from the Lord. Uh, and it wasn't just the stories that he heard from these men who were there, like the Apostle John. Paul comes on the scene, as you know, later after the uh, church has been in existence for a while. Um, but Paul says, I, re I received some things directly from the Lord. I had, I had a special revelation in my calling as an apostle. And, uh, and he does the same thing as he addresses the Galatian Christians in Galatians chapter 1, reminding them of his apostolic authority, reminding them that the things he's sharing, he's sharing on, on a firsthand basis through the special revelation that he received. He heard those stories as well. Yes, of course. Uh, but Paul also received special revelation from the Lord. And so Paul tells his story by telling the story. Whether you're talking about Philippians 3 and 1 Timothy 1, where Paul speaks very autobiographical as he writes those letters, or if you're talking about Luke's re recording of Paul's um, telling his own story. Uh, it happens in Acts 9, but then Paul tells it himself as he defends himself before the Jewish and Roman leaders in Acts 22 and in Acts 26. Uh, Paul claims that. Uh, I want us to look at the book of, of uh, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, because Peter writes in a very similar way to John. And remember, of course, Peter and John were close before Jesus even came along. It seems that Andrew and, and Peter, uh, James and John, perhaps a couple of others, such as uh, Nathaniel or Bartholomew and Philip, uh, they, they may have been all in business together. Certainly, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were. And so Peter, and then they were all called to be apostles and lived <laughs> together even more directly uh, as Jesus uh, taught them and ministered to them and as they experienced his life and ministry firsthand uh, during those years. But this is what Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, talking about the transfiguration, or perhaps even talking about uh, referring to his baptism as well, but specifically the transfiguration. Uh, when the voice came to him from the God the Father, uh, from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Uh, perhaps looking at the time of the baptism of Christ, later the time of the transfiguration. Listen to him, that voice said, not to Moses, not to Elijah, to my Son. Much the same way that the writer of Hebrews starts out. Uh, God has spoken to us in various times through diverse, many diverse ways, now has spoken to us by his Son. And Peter writes this in 2 Peter 1, verse 18. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We, we heard that voice ourselves. We're not just telling you what someone told us. We heard it. This is what it said. This was, these were the circumstances. Um, and then he continues on in verses 19 and following. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. That whole theme of light and life, so very important to John, and of course here in Second Peter. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, verse 20, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about 
by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And prophets and prophetic speech there means so much more than just foretelling the future. That's what we think of when we think of speaking prophetically or being a prophet. They were spokesmen for God. They spoke the will of God. And their first audience, their first uh, hearers, were the people of their contemporary day. And the message had its application to them, first of all. And then they would apply it uh, to that prophecy that per perhaps, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes would foretell future events. Uh, so Peter, like Paul, like John, appeals to his authority as being uh, someone who's, who uh, was firsthand an eyewitness of the workings of the Lord. But what, where does that leave us? <laughs> we, we've lived, we've come on the scene a little bit later than the Apostle Paul, I'd say, than Saul of Tarsus. We, we've come on the scene almost 2,000 years later. We haven't experienced any of this stuff firsthand. No, we haven't. But we have the testimony of those who did. And we have something else. We have our own personal experiences of how God has carried us through uh, the difficulties and how he has blessed us with the joys of this life. Remember in, in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascends, he calls his followers around him and he tells them, you're to be, you're to be witnesses uh, of the things that you've seen and heard. Witnesses, first of all, here in the area of Jerusalem, then in the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And I do believe that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 applies to us as well because that is something that uh, we are uh, supposed to be and supposed to do, to be witnesses of, of the Lord God. We're called upon to tell others about what God has done in our lives. And, um, and we, don't, we don't say, claim to have seen things that we haven't seen but just because we weren't there 2,000 years ago doesn't mean we haven't seen the work of God in our own personal lives. And I think that's what we tell people. Granted, that's more subjective, and that's why we turn to the pages of the Word of God for our inspired, authoritative message. Uh, because as Paul clearly tells the Colossians and others, um, anything else is a bit more subjective. But what, what we find is our lives and our experiences confirming what the message is in the pages of the New Testament, that it's not just that Jesus promised in Matthew 28, verse 20, before his ascension, that he would be with us always to the very end of the age. Uh, we can tell people, he has been with me, and I cannot imagine going through uh, this life without that. Um, what's more, in first in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, rather in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, uh, Peter writes and tells us, all of us today, uh, even, uh, these words. Um, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Uh, and that's how we're supposed to handle that. We share what we know. <laughs> and we study to know more and more about what the scripture teaches and we tell those stories and we find our authority in those words um, but we also tell people why we live with such hope because of those statements of scripture because we have submitted our lives in obedience to the will and word of God 
but also because we know that God has been with us and that he is wanting to be with them as well and wanting to build a relationship with them as well. And so just like um, Paul did <laughs> when he had to defend his faith in Acts 22 and in Acts 26 and so many other times, um, we, we tell um, his story. As we're telling our story, we're telling his story, Jesus' story, which is really the story. And so we talk about our lives before Jesus, before we came to know him. We tell people how we became a Christian. Yes, it's important to turn to Acts 8 and, and read about that Ethiopian treasure or those Samaritans or Acts 2 and the people at Pentecost or Acts 16 and the wonderful godly woman Lydia or that Philippian jailer. It's good for us to be able to, to find those scriptures, obviously, and others that speak about the response of faith, including Christian baptism. Uh, but it's also important for us to be able to tell our story. Here's what happened when I was baptized. Here, here are the people who influenced me so that I would uh, make that decision to follow Jesus. As we sang this morning, I have decided to follow Jesus, not just the apostles that Jesus called to follow him. He's called all of us. And here's what happened when I made that decision. And then we talk about my life since then, how Jesus has been with me, how he has sent his Holy Spirit to be my guide and comfort and, and, to, uh, and to bless me and to give me that sense of assurance. Um, and so we, as we close the lesson today, we go back to 1 John 1, and let's read those first two verses, but this time let's keep reading through verses 3 and 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. 1 John 1, 1, what a great powerful verse. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 1 John 1, 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy, or to make your joy, complete. John says, we were eyewitnesses, what we heard, what we saw, what we touched and felt. This is who we proclaim to you. We proclaim to you the life that we saw, the one who came and, and uh, revealed to us grace and truth in a very real way, far deeper than Moses could ever do so. Uh, we, we proclaim to you what, what we've seen with our own eyes, what our hands have touched, what we heard with our own ears. John, again, receiving that authoritative uh, uh, place as an eyewitness and now sharing his testimony so that those who hear him, his hearers, his, those who he's writing to towards the end of the first century, but even us today in the year 2021, he's writing so that our joy can be full. Just as Jesus shared with those disciples, including John, hours before his death, uh, I'm telling you these things so that you can have peace. I'm telling these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. He's telling us this so that we can have fellowship uh, with John and the other eyewitnesses, with those early disciples, with those who have carried faithfully uh, his, his message through the centuries and for those who share that calling to do so now. The apostle wants us all to experience the joy 
and security that comes, that assurance that comes through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He calls on us to stake that confidence on the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and not on anything else, not on any of our accomplishments, not on any of our knowledge, as the Gnostics would later do, not on any theory that others might bring to us, some philosophy like Paul mentions in Colossians 2, but only on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is that eyewitness testimony of what he did. When our trust and our confidence are in the Lord, we acknowledge our sins in honest humility, and we live our lives in in grateful obedience. Uh, Not so that we can arrogantly tell people how faithful we are, but but because our our humble lives could do nothing more, uh, could do nothing less, because God has sent his son to die for us. We love others and treat them with the same consideration and respect, the same love with which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has treated us. And we don't let it end with us. Just as John and the others were great evangelists, willing to share their story and share the story in doing so, uh, we're called upon to do the same, to tell of our experiences with our Lord and how he has been there with us through thick and thin, so that they too will know and will respond in faith and will come to have this great fellowship of love and peace and joy that can only come through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray that you'll have a great week this week.